Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I chat to long-time friend and fellow lifeguard, Quinn Darra. Quinn talks for the first time about his health battles and the premature birth of his son, Ryder. Then later on, lifeguard Jethro joins me in the shack for Beach Banner, and I go to the mailbag to answer questions from the fans. Now let's have a listen to my chat with Quinn. Well, this week in the uh, Beach Shack, it's a pleasure to have uh, an old mate. I mean, it's been around a long time and uh, racing together and then also working as professional lifeguards. So welcome, Quinn. Yeah, thanks for having me, Hop. It's great to be in the shack. Mate, the uh, reason why I got you in to have a chat is something that's uh, you know, quite close to you is your young son, Ryder, was born prematurely, so 27 weeks. So give us a bit of a, a rundown on that. Yeah, it was uh, it was 27 weeks old when he unfortunately we went into Shuri went into labour on my birthday. I was just um, watching the footy and then got a call. You know she wasn't wasn't feeling that good, so we went to went up to the uh, Royal Hospital for Women and then the the midwife said, "Look, sorry, love, you're you're going to deliver this baby tonight." And I remember it was 11 o'clock and. I said to Cherie, I said, look, you know, hang in there, babe, another hour, you'll give him his own birthday. And she said, look, I'm on it. And and then, uh, yeah, he was born the next day and it was, it was probably the most helpless and hopeless I've ever felt in my life. And um, as a father, Hop, you, yourself, you know, you know that it's kind of in our DNA, that feeling of protection and stuff. And when he was born, he was, you know, just over a kilogram, his skin was see-through and then they started resussing him. And, you know, I'm, I'm just there as a passenger. I feel like I'm on a runaway train that's going to crash. And, and I just sort of watch these amazing doctors sort of intervene and, and do this resuscitation on him. And even, you know, memory pulling a plastic bag up up to his neck because he was losing so much heat. So, you know, I followed that crash cart down to the neonate intensive care unit and, um, you know, watched him sort of go through and pass the first level, which the babies didn't look too sick, and then the second level a bit sicker, and then the third where where Ryder ended up, and it was, you know, babies that were really in, in trouble. But um, And I remember that the first three days he was on a ventilator there, and, and I remember seeing a little plaque there that said running for premature babies. They'd obviously donated that to the hospital, and, you know, that kept him alive those first three days. And they said, look, you know, you've got to be prepared he was showing signs that, you know, there could have been a brain bleed and end up with cerebral palsy. And I, I've got an uncle who had a hypoxic brain injury and I just was kind of saying to myself, look, you know, worst case, he'll give unconditional love to, to Sheree and myself and might not have the future that I hope for him. But, you know, I was still, still sort of appreciative that he was hanging in there. And then a few weeks later, you know, he's doing a bit better, but then he's had this skin thing that, they said, oh, look, we think this is this rare skin disease and um, it's kind of like called fish scale. And then, you know, it means that it's a really painful process of peeling back the skin and stuff. I've seen a show where a baby had that and I was just like terrified of that. It was just this real roller coaster of emotions. And when we sort of got, he got through that and we ended up having a, a great result and he's seven years old now and doing really well. 
you know, I just promised the nurses and doctors there on, on our way out. I just said, look, I, when I'm in a position, I will pay it forward. And and then it was kind of um, an introduction by Reedy to Sophie Smith from Running for Premature Babies that sort of kicked off the whole thing for the Channel Swim. So obviously you would have been in hospital every day. I, I, I can't, I know I've got kids myself, but mm. never to this extreme where they've been really sick. And geez, you must have thought every day that this could be the last day I see him. Yeah, it was. It had that feeling of just an enormous amount of trust in the in the nurses and the and the doctors there that were amazing, and 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 they just they would be very real with you. Like they they did not lie to you or give you false hope, and that gave them credibility. When they did say he was doing well, then you know you you believed it, and you're just just hanging on to hope. And we, you know, we just had all our family and friends there sort of supporting us and uh yeah we were up there every day and people praying for us and and uh we were just watching this little baby just like the fight in him was was something that you know taught taught me a lot about resilience as well and we were just you know blessed to get out of there and uh, as i said to sheree i said it's, it's like we've been we've walked through a, a landmine field and we haven't stepped on one yeah. like that's how it felt yeah so it's you know, you're told that look, there's a slim chance of survival here or there's a, a 50-50. How did, yeah. was that panning out? Uh, look, they they kind of said, you know, back back in the, um, you know, the old days, they, they said it, it was it would have been touch and go. And, and uh, you know, then they sort of say there's a certain amount of weeks where they don't even intervene just because there's not much hope. But, but the, the nurses who are just so experienced and have seen this all before, they just said, look, it's although there's all these risk factors associated with it, like there's a lot of babies that do well and, and all as like Sheree wanted to hear from were mothers that had successful preterm babies and, and we kind of just lent on them and just saw those success stories and just, you know, just really sort of hope for the best. Mm. And what was the uh, machine called? That yeah, you know, obviously there's not yeah. that many around. And yeah, and and it's it's called a Nava ventilator, and it's it's basically it uses the it's got sensors on the baby, and it, and it it recognises when the baby's trying to breathe, and it just assists that because there's you know complications with too much oxygen with preterm babies can cause blindness, can cause scarring on the lungs, and and this ventilator was was just one of those sort of uh, pieces of equipment that was really helpful with um sort of avoiding all those things and sophie smith who had triplets who all passed away her twins weren't able to to get on that ventilator and she you know it's kind of made it a bit of her mission to to make sure that all the right equipment was there because people say well can't the hospital just or the government just pay and and the thing is it's there's the government does provide equipment for the for the hospital it's just there's better equipment, you know. Right. So it's it's kind of like a baseline supply of equipment and health, and and but the technology just moves forward so quickly, mm-hmm. and all the innovation out there by these companies that make these devices, and and they're just not always on the radar for for the government to be able to support it and pay for it. Well, I suppose from there, you and um, you, years later, you uh, you and your good friend Luke Stewart mm. decided to raise some money and get some more machines, mm. and decided to do which I think. Is, is a massive achievement. I know um, you've always been a, a very, very good swimmer, <laughs> but to swim the English Channel, that's just another level above. Mm. Uh, so run us through now that what obviously it was to raise money mm. and how much money did you raise and, and what sort of got you motivated to pick the yeah. English Channel? No, nah, it's a good question. I think the, the questions I get asked the most is, why did you do it and how did you do it? And and just before I left, one guy, a week before I left, he, he said, why even bother, which made me laugh. But I think 
I just sort of trace it back and I just think like two of the probably biggest things for me, traits, character traits that I, I value above most others is just resilience and gratitude. And, and I kind of was taught that early with my life and just life experiences, you know, 12 years old, diagnosed with autoimmune disease, Crohn's, and, you know, struggled with that most of my life. You know, even now I'll have a beetroot juice and have an anxiety attack after I get off the toilet because, you know, it's yeah. like it comes with ulceration, bleeding and all that. But, you know, I sort of dealt with that most of my life, then had a you know, met Cherie, I was training for a boxing fight. You know, some of the boys were boxing at the time. Oh, I remember coming to that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. 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 Was, I'm a better observer, mate, yeah, than oh, been in the ring. <laughs> mate, it was, it was one and done for me. I was, I was fortunate to win because I don't think I had the ability or the, or the brain capacity to, to cop too much more of the sparring. But yeah. in the medical, I showed my liver function was through the roof and out of control. So I just went back in and, and had a, met a specialist and they said, look, you've got high-grade dysplasia through your whole large bowel. We need to take it out. And I was thinking... I was just about to have Xavier, my first son. I was yeah. like, no, nah, I can't do that. This is the worst thing. I work on the beach. I'm a lifeguard. I'm in board shorts all the time. This is the worst thing you can tell me. He said, no, no, no. If this flicks off and hits your liver, we're planning a funeral. That's the worst thing I can tell you. And then and then I was kind of saying to Shreed, you know, how are you going to look at me like this? I was kind of just embarrassed and stuff. And she said, look, you know my wife, and this is exactly yeah. how she delivered it. She said, look, I don't care about that, but if you leave me a single mum, that will really piss me off. <laughs> so I was, I was, um, I just said, look, I've got to see the f- birth of Xavier first. You know, she was pregnant with him. So had the baby, had had Xavier, and, and then it was kind of my turn. So, but Xavier was born, Hop, I don't know if you, you wouldn't remember this, but I was at your birthday at the Icebergs, and, yep. uh, and we, I'd had four beers, and then get a call from Cherie, come home now. She's having the baby shower. And this was six weeks before she was due on our first one. I get home and then her water breaks. And I'm like, babe, I'm over the limit. We're going to have to call an ambulance. And then she said, listen, you idiot, get in the car. I'm driving. And, you know, we talk about how stoic women are. And this was a perfect example. She's having contractions all the way to hospital. I'm in the passenger seat like a hopeless idiot. The first time I was useless in a a theatre. And then we we had Xavier six weeks early, still in the NICU for a little while, but nothing nothing too much. But then it was my turn, went in to have this operation then, you know, and I did that whole summer with a colostomy bag and yep. I just didn't tell anyone. I was just wearing a rash vest the whole time and when I was doing rescues and then wore a shirt in the tower. Then I had that, then had the reversal after the summer season. And, you know... Well, that's something that no one would have known. I, no, I, I didn't know that. And, no. And so you hit it very, very well. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, mate, I, I did. I hit it well and I just... Um, I just Because I just didn't know if it would be reversed and I just had, hadn't come to terms with it in my yeah. mind. I know it was silly, but it was just, you know, it was just my ego just sort of playing, playing tricks on me and we got through that. I had the reversal, but then I got septic, you know, and I was mm. just end up back in ICU, uh, septic, having just like just... I was really, really sick again and, and then I was sort of laying there and I had the best and worst of life. You know, I had, I was sort of in, in bed. I had a thing called Nelius, which is the most pain I've ever felt. Then I had my son with me. I was just like, okay, well, this is to your point about the motivation for it. I was just sort of, I just wanted to be able to teach him resilience and be able to be, have credibility to say that to him. Then I, so I was laying there. I thought, okay, what can I do? I couldn't walk two steps. I was in so much pain and the boys were, planning like Whippet, Reedy, uh, Adriel, Bishop and a couple of others I think but were planning to do the Ironman it was yep. in 11 months time and I, was, I said okay well that's it I'll do that yep. and then you know one of the best photos I've got is me crossing the line with Xavier 11 yep. months later you know and I got Whippet too and Reedy yep. so that's a, that, <laughs> two, two good scalps but it just kind of summed up it was like the goal was the Ironman and the purpose was to 
teach Zave that, you know, like if you if you are knocked down, then just, you know, that's the way you respond to, to sort of get back up. So I just, I sort of had that in my mind. And then, you know, we go through and we have Ryder and, and then that kind of story. And then I was just kind of like, we, we, I was down, I was down at uh, Luke's place. He's got a place in Mollymook and we both just sort of came up with it together. He hadn't swum a, a squad session in his life. And, and as you say, I was kind of had a swimming background, but wrong build for it. You know, I had yeah. to put on weight. And then we both just said, look, this is what we want to do. And we started the process. So we booked the boat, we booked the flights. We came back and we, we were like, okay, well, let's, you know, connect with Sophie from Running for Premature yeah. Babies and we'll start raising money for this ventilator. So we started the process, started swimming, doing some kilometres. The first swim I did two hours from Coogee to Bondi, 17 degrees, hypothermic, yeah. just massive failure. Yeah. So you had to get out? You couldn't, didn't, I, didn't finish the distance? I or, finished yeah. the distance, but I but they were sort of, I thought they were just taking off and going quicker, but I was just going slow. Right. And they asked me questions at the, the feed break and they could just tell I couldn't speak mm. and they just mm. went, okay, he's not good. And they, they sort of guided me in. As soon as I got out of the water, wrapped in a blanket and I thought, oh, gee, I must be pretty bad here, you know. <laughs> and then I remember thinking, God, that's a failure. How can I do 10 hours in 16 or 15 or 14 if I can't do two hours in 19? Mm. So got a call from Murph Renfer that night and he just didn't seem to care. And that gave me the confidence to realise maybe that failure is, doesn't mean that the, the whole thing's a yeah. throwaway. And mm. so just tried to put on a bit of weight kept swimming, kept training, Luke kept training with me. And, you know, and then again, we just had a strong goal, which was the channel. The purpose was to give back to the Royal Hospital for Women for the help that they gave to Xavier. And then that just kind of kept, and then all this community support came around hot. It was yeah. just like, you know, the lifeguards, you know, you guys were yeah. promoting it. We had help from our wives, obviously. Nikki, this girl who just got us all this free advertising and yeah. stuff. Like we were in billboards above yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Southern Cross <laughs> Drive, you know, like just in our cozies yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Luke and I was hilarious, but... We just kept going, but then COVID hit. So the pools close, our beaches close, and we're lifeguarding to nobody. So yep. we're just there with, and, and there's barricades around the beaches. So Luke and I just like, no, we've, we've just got to keep going. This is our mission. We're doing this. We're doing this. So then we would get up in the morning, 4.30, meet at sort of 10 to, 10 to 5. And we had like this really great crew. Like we had Scott Myers, Emily Myers, Murph Renford, Luke and I, and then all of our mates paddling kayaks and stuff on the weekend. But yep. we'd jump the barricades and just do laps in, in Clovelly. And, yep. and then on the weekends, we go to Balmoral. And, you know, then you've got to do a qualifying swim, six hours in 15 degrees, right. trying to put on weight, put on a couple of kilos. And it makes a lot of difference, you know, for, for the cold. And that's the, it keeps you warm, a bit warmer, doesn't it? If you've got yeah. weight on you. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just, I thought, oh, will it make that much of a difference? But it did, you know. So, you know, one of the things we did, Two hours in 11 degrees at, at um, Manly Dam, which is just a... Is a yeah, I don't know how you did that. Oh, I, I, I get cold in 18 degrees. Oh, <laughs> oh mate, it was, we, we didn't look that good when we got out, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty... It was an eye-opener. It was yeah. something... And Murph again said, look, if we fail here, it's not a failure. Don't worry about it. we just got to keep going. So we kept going, both qualified. Luke got really hypothermic on his first yep. qualifying swim and just, you know, you can't remember an hour or two after it. But he's an animal. Like, his yeah. mental mental state is just like something I've never seen before. He can do 35 minutes in one degree ice bath. Yeah, he's, yeah, that's, yeah that's crazy. <laughs> so we just pressed on, had had our flights cancelled and things, and we, but we still were confident we were going to go, you know, and, 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 and all the community just sort of rallied around it because all the news was like COVID this, COVID that. It was just all negative. And then Luke and I were just trying to do something positive and James Hutton from The Beast, you know, put us on the cover twice, another article on the third issue. He's just, you know, he was just – 
really promoting us as well. And then and then we end up getting we're ticking over these donations, just people what they could afford, then just like some heavy hitters throwing in big money, Guy Darn, Michael Smith, just these sort of really generous people who were, were all getting behind us. Mm. And then we, we went past the, the cost, the 74K for the ventilator. So right. we just kept moving the goalpost and and then sort of, you know, getting to the point where, you know, we finished with 145,000, which was, you know, one for a ventilator for Royal Hospital for Women and then two humidity cribs for Alice Springs Hospital with, you know, like a 70% Indigenous population and, you know, and their equipment needed replacing. So... That was that was a, a real privilege to you know be a part of that with the community to to provide that. Mm. But well, that's a magnificent effort to get you know more than what you wanted, but then also you're helping other communities and and especially up there in um, you know Northern Territory. Yeah, for sure, and it, it, that that sort of felt amazing. And and we got to the point where just before we left, like it was you know again things were changing and and rules were changing matt thistlewaite wrote a letter to peter dutton on our behalf to to you know for an exemption sophie smith from running for premature babies did as well and then you know they they gave us the go-ahead so but the day before i left i went down to Bronny splashes to have a swim and uh thank them for the money that they had donated and i and i had a conversation with a, a lady and 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 she was she was positive, and uh, yeah. and I get on the plane. I didn't know this, and she didn't know it either, of course. And and then we we land, and then I, and then we get told, okay, there's someone's you were there, and they were positive, and I was just right. like thinking, oh my god, it's all <laughs> going to fall apart now. Like I'm already in the UK, yeah. and Luke did a test on me, which was pretty funny, and I was negative, which was which yeah. was great. Then we went to Dover, and we got to Dover a few days early for Luke's swim, and you know we were just staying together like a happy couple, and. <laughs> You know, we're doing our practice swims in the morning and then Luke gets the call up. And so Luke gets the call up. You kind of get it about eight o'clock the day before. So we meet down at the wharf at, you know, quarter to two on the boat. I, I was swimming too close after it, so I couldn't right. get on the boat with him. And he he then goes off and he's got a, someone there to help him with the feeds and stuff. Could you take your support crew over? They couldn't go. From Australia, no. Well, Cherie got a, a, um, an exemption too, but it was just too risky. Like we just, yeah. in case we got stuck, it's just you can't yeah. leave three kids over here yeah. with both parents gone. So just Luke and I went, Jade and Cherie and the kids stayed at home. So we just got a support from the UK for Luke and yeah. um, his window looked good to start with because like they won't even, it's like this really crazy sort of contrast that you've got uh, refugee boats washing up on right. Shakespeare's beach and that's the same beach you kind of swim off from just people sort of fleeing for their lives yeah. and then us trying to do so, this you know this kind of like you know privileged position to be able to sort of be over there doing it and so we waited for Luke's window Luke got the go-ahead he got the green light and we're like okay cool we get up 1.30 get him ready take him down to the to go and it, it was just a little bit more wind than than we thought you know yeah. and it was just it was just kind of a bit of a sign of things to come you know yeah. so Luke gets on, starts off. He's he's going great. He's you know stroke looks good, and I'm looking at video of him and talking to the to the guy on the boat. But just because of this sort of short period chop where the wind and the swell was in a different direction, like it just it just when you go to drink, you know it's if, if it's calm you can just drink easy. If right. it's not, the, the water goes in your mouth. So he was kind of taking on water from the from the start, salt water, and then two hours in he starts vomiting, keeps pushing on. He's done that before. Keeps pushing on, keeps pushing on, four, six, seven hours, and in the yeah. end, it's like seven and a half, eight hours in, and just is just absolutely vomiting. He's you know just guts up, and 
and then it was you know just devastating just just um you know got pulled and um you know then to add insult to injury turns the boat turns around then the shaft breaks oh. so he's bobbing around in the middle of the channel just vomiting into a bucket just feeling like absolute death and um and the boat's not moving the boat's not moving just bobbing and anyway so he i'm looking at it on the map and then i'm just like got tears in my eyes just you know because it's it's not it's it's, it's only important to him because the process of what he did and what he went through and what he achieved and the money raised was kind of like the really the 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 reason why yeah. but it was just you know i just know how competitive he is and yeah. got got back got picked him up and then i called jade i went for a drive you know i was i was in tears she was in tears and and then i get a call i'm up the next day so i was like I've got to, I've got to kind of sort of get my head in in the game, and then I come back to Luke, and you know he woke up and goes, "Matter, just felt like a nightmare." And mm-hmm. I was like, "I oh, know. Look, not only did that happen, but I'm on tomorrow morning. You know, will you be on the boat?" And yeah. he's like, "Mate, no place on earth I'd rather be." Yeah. And so like he just shook that off like the biggest legend that yeah, he is. Yeah. And then you know I went to bed about eight or nine, get up at just after midnight. Head down, and then um, then so we you start at one a.m. Do you? Roughly. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah, and it starts at different times depending on the on the tide. Yep. But um, they you kind of they start you just before the outgoing tide, so you kind of swing left and then you come back. You know, when you're looking at it on a map. Yeah. Yeah. So jumped in pitch black. He greases me up. Then you're kind of on on the beach and just thinking it's just so black. You can just see like a floodlight, and it's just like yep. wow, that's that's over there. And I'm just thinking to myself, here I am. This is this is it. You know, like we're here, and it's just like. And again, just gratitude, like just to be in that position to, to be able to be there. I was just like, you know, you've got two arms, two legs, you just, you know, just break it down yeah. one stroke at a time. So just, I remember that first stroke was just felt amazing. I'm like, oh my God, here I go. This <laughs> yeah. is it, you know? And, yeah. and so every 30 minutes there's a drink feed, a drink break, and you kind of look right. forward to that, you know, you just, and that was how like people say, how do you, you know, what are you thinking about that whole time? And you you know, you do think of your family and the people that support you in the in the kind of macro level, but the micro level to, and I yeah. think this is true for anything difficult or long, mm-hmm. and it's just to break it down into into things that your mind can manage. And and that was thirty minute feeds. The first was electrolyte, second one different flavor, third yep. one flat coke, and six spoons of sugar. And then the last one was just kind of like a protein mix, right. so three hundred mils each, forty grams of carbs, and that was kind of like what you know, sort of Emily sort of showed me from her swim and. Yep. You know, you just kind of start in the dark and then, then the light comes and it's a bit of a change and that's cool. And then you, you know, then you just keep going, keep going. And, you know, then, you know, after a while things start going wrong. But Luke was looking at my stroke and he would throw in like a, a no dose if I looked like I was kind of stroke was changing, yeah. is counting it. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Panadol and Nurofen every now and then as yeah. well. Yeah. Then I was just like after about four, four or five hours started hallucinating, you know, yeah. like I saw, you know, Cherie looking up, swimming on her back underwater as a mermaid and i was just like i know that's not happening you know like that was the first time not the last time i'd hallucinated but um and so we just sort of pressed on and then they said look don't when you get sort of to the what you can see the coast Mm. which is still two hours out don't think you're going there because the the tide's shifting so quickly you end up you know kilometers down off course off course yeah yeah. so you just got to follow the boat and stuff so you know we got there then you hear the hear the tender go in and then that's just a real big excitement you're like i'm close i'm close and then you just go in there they find a rock you stand up and and then it was just kind of this huge relief and i just was like i just had luke on the boat just you know being so supportive like uh, like you know the best kind of 
crew you could possibly have. Yeah. Well, after his devastation and then had to lift himself again to be positive for your swim, must have been tough for him. Oh, exactly. And that's just, you know, just shows you what type of person he is and what he's made of. And that was just, for me, was just a really really beautiful moment and, and I, I didn't even feel like I had the right to celebrate because I was still gutted about his swim and mm. but then when I was on the tender on the way back like he just just pumped his fist yeah. in the air and that gave me you know the I suppose the um the, I felt like the right that I could celebrate and yep. feel happy and stuff so like it was just you know got back and gave him a massive hug and it was just like this huge relief so, and what time did you do? Was it around nine and a half hours? Yeah, it was yeah. nine hours thirty six. It was it was the it was the and the fastest time of the season gets a Rolex, and not that that's why you do it, but it was the fastest time of two seasons until yeah. a week before the finish, and I got done by two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you'd be spewing about that. Oh no, no, it still hurts. <laughs> Another lesson there. Yeah. Oh, but mate, that's you know, break it down. I mean, how far is the distance? If people listening. You know, nine hours thirty-eight in in, and what was the distance? Yeah, it's 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 like thirty-four k in a straight line. You end up, so I think I swam about thirty-eight k that day, and um and you can swim as far as fifty on yeah. the on a bad day. Yeah. So I mean, really, that's a that's a very very good time. Nine a bit over mm. nine and a half hours in for thirty-eight kilometers. Mm. I mean, that's a, a a long long swim. Yeah, I think it was uh it was one thirty pace for for the duration so you know it's not certainly not the fastest in the world but for me it was it was it was a great swim i'm, I'm struggling to <laughs> repeat on 130 mate at the moment so yeah and that's in a pool doing about 2k <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> but no that's uh you know that's fantastic with the and what you achieved and also uh, the reason why you're doing it with the training how many kilometers per week were you doing to get to that stage because there'd be probably a lot of people out there mm. might be interested in, in having a crack at the channel yeah for sure and and you know i would say definitely have a go it's no matter how big it seems at the time if you just break it down and you just you know you give yourself 18 months two years to prep for yeah. it you'll, you'll be fine but we were doing between sort of 30 and 50k a week yeah. and probably averaging 40 kilometers a week yeah. so and, that, and that's just you know monday to friday you might have a day off during the week um yeah. but Every morning you swim or afternoon if you if that's better for you and then just one long one on the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, that that was our big, big swim mm. on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. Yeah. Mm. Jeez, that was, uh, yeah, a lot of dedication in it, but, yeah, all worth it in the end. Yeah, definitely. W- would you ever do it again? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm uh, look, I would never say never. I think in, in that format I'm, I'm happy to... To have done, I don't yeah. want to chase multiples, but um, oh, mate, I mean, there's something magical about the channel. Like it's just a, it's just got a, a, an aura about it, and just the history there, and you know, it's just a just an amazing kind of sort of amphitheater when you get there to Dover Harbour, and and then um, you know the people that have sort of sort of done it, you know, just hold in high regard, and um, so yeah. But Luke's going back 2022. Yeah, do it again. Do it again, and uh, and I'll, I'll be on the boat supporting yeah. him. Well, he is very competitive, so I wouldn't have doubted that he'll have another crack until he fo- he does finish it. So I oh, know, um, and and I suppose with a bit of experience now too, he'll um he'll know a bit more. T- so yeah, hopefully for sure. next time it can uh, he'll complete the course. And I yeah. mean, I've got a lot of people listening that uh, from the UK, so they'll probably think that uh, you're totally nuts, <laughs> but they'll uh, they'll love the, uh, listening to your story and and um, you know for premature babies as well. I mean. Mm. Thousands of people out there that have been through the same as you. And mm. It's something that um, is quite tough and it's good to see. You're so resilient. You got through it and um, it's good to see riders 
you know, now yeah. seven and, and, and kicking along and well. And doing well. And for those UK listeners, they'll they'll see they'll see Whippet there in 2022 as well. So it'll oh. be Whippet and Whippet and Luke back over there, and, and I'll be there as well okay. to support the boys. Oh, no, I love that. We uh, did Whippet last week. He came into the shack. So yeah, yeah I listened to that. Hilarious. <laughs> so everyone over there in the UK, you'll be seeing Whippet very soon, another 12 months. Yeah. All right, Quinn, mate. It's great to uh, have you into the shack, and uh, thanks for letting us uh, – in the insight into uh, your life and, and your story. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, Hop. It was a pleasure to have Quinn in the Beach Shack. Next up, Beach Banner with Lifeguard Jethro. For this week in the Beach Shack, I've got the well-known... <laughs> Somewhat. Somewhat well-known. In what circles? I wonder who it is. It's me. It's Jeff. <laughs> we've got him. We've finally got him. It's taken a long time. All the fans out there, but we've got Jethro in the beach shack finally. And it's a pleasure to be here, although there's no sand on the floor, but there is a <laughs> subtle tone of, of Hawaiian music playing, which is a little bit unsettling, Bruce. Um, oh, I need you to sort that out. <laughs> Mate, oh, I thought we'd start with a few little incidents you've had at the beach over your lifeguard career. Yep, there's yeah, been a couple. Yeah, there's been a, yeah, a few there. <laughs> I suppose a lot of the listeners want to know how you could possibly lock yourself in that tower down the north end. Well, you're not going to believe me, but it's not too. It's not super hard to lock yourself in. Although I'm the only one to have done it. If you do watch a show, you've seen that. Yeah, no other lifeguards have done anything like that. <laughs> um, Look, I'm, the, I'm a clumsy bloke at the best of times, packing up the beach at the end of the day, <laughs> want to get out of that tower, get a little bit cocky, think I can just move back in, move out, whatever I want, be a bit transient. That door comes down and it shuts the main door, mate. You're locked in a UFO <laughs> on the sand. And as much as I love the boys, no one's going to help. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> So you're locked in. Then what, you had to radio to for help? Is that the last thing you wanted to do? You knew you were going to get bagged from there, didn't you? Oh, I made at that point, I was going to, ta- I was going to take a nap in there. You know, I love me camping. I was like, well, I might as well just keep this one a secret, stay in here. I could survive for, I don't know, 72 hours. But um, that wasn't an option. Probably had a date that night. So I had to radio the boys. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that one fell on, on deaf ears pretty quickly as as um you would have all saw, seen on the telly yeah we had a <laughs> we had a very good laugh on that one yeah it's haunted me that, that thing's haunted <laughs> me for years and years on the beach you know you're a lifeguard where i'm doing rescues just as much as everyone else is but it seems to be on the show that only my most ridiculous <laughs> moments get shown i do do good stuff out there for everyone listening on. So, so what are you saying? You, your great rescues are on the edit floor? <laughs> They're on the edit floor. And if anyone wants to pick them up, please do it. I need a manager or someone to pick up me rescues. Because I'm walking along the beach looking for, mate, you do a good job. And all I get is, you're the bloke that locked himself in the chair. So, yeah. Jeez. Well, I've got three that I've thought of. And the, the next one is the, the one where you back the trailer into the roller door. And the roller door happened to fall off. And I remember Jules got, called me and said, oh, the wind's blowing that hard down here. It's blowing the roller door off the, off the gear shed. Props to Jules. Jules, if you're listening, for running the ball off on that one. That was a solid. That was like, that was jail stuff. That was like not snitching at all. I wouldn't look up a story, but it's, it wasn't going to work. Oh, as much as that was my fault, you can make your own mind up. I'm going to put that one down to environmental yeah. failure. Yeah. We had a, ditch, a little ditch in the sand there, which obviously... 
changes the pivot point of the trailer. Um, <laughs> completely not user error at all. And obviously, yeah, took down the shutter door, which I thought was untakedownable. Um, but sure enough, I took it down. Probably all the years of rust in there probably would have helped it along. Oh, like I know? said, this is not my fault. Environmental factors <laughs> outweigh the, the user error. <laughs> it must have would have to be. I looked out the window when I got when Jules rang me and it. I thought it'd have to be a gale force hundred year wind to knock this thing over, and or uh, you'd have to go yeah. in the tunnel and lift up a door <laughs> off a off a beam and drop, <laughs> and drop it on the floor. Yeah, I uh, like maybe I need therapy or something. Hot. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm make- I was going to talk to you later about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one was the uh, jet ski, beaching the jet ski. You're doing a wonderful job out there on the day, and then in you came the beach it, and what happened <sighs> then? I haven't recovered from this one. I'm happy to get on the jet ski, but beaching the ski now is like a fear of mine. It's like a genuine fear of mine. If I'm on the ski, I'll make an excuse to not beach it. But yeah, I was coming in and I was just coming in a bit hot. Yeah. And um, I had one arm off the handlebars because when you beach a jet ski, you have to hit the engine off button yeah. at, at about the same time. So I was pulling the kill switch instead of pressing the button, which is obviously I've learned my mistake. Yeah. And on out there, press the button. Don't take your hand off. <laughs> the handlebars and by when i hit the sand that one hand was still off the bars so all that weight went into my what is it my left shoulder and ding dong <laughs> and out she comes and oh, mate it was a bad feeling and i had bloody harry's on the sand but he was just cacking himself that's that's what i've always said when you injure yourself when i injure my knee down there they they basically come up and laugh at you yeah take photos of you yep and then the third thing they do is they decide oh i better start treating him yeah and if you're unlucky enough to do an injury like this on the set of a show like Bondo Rescue, you also have a film crew in your face laughing at you. It's like, well, what is this? Like, is my life a joke? <laughs> is my health a joke to you? And then the, even the better part came after when we put you on the green whistle. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you should have given me the green whistle. I think there maybe needs to be something in the standard operating procedures manual that stops people like me from getting the whistle. But I think everyone knew what was going to happen. And um, and I don't really remember. Obviously, I've watched watched the footage back and gone, yep, that's, that sounds like me. Um, but that whistle kicked in pretty quick. Yeah, there's a lot of pretty, good stuff coming out of your mouth. Pretty hard. It didn't take long. I remember having like three puffs of it and I was like, yep. Let's go. I'm off me head. <laughs> and then I had Harry's there, like, egging me on. I was like... It looks like he's permanently on the green whistle. Permanently. Like, for sure. Yeah. And then I actually had a, a second whistle in the tower waiting for the ambo. So that just sent me to, well, Charlestown, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, that was crook as. How was the uh, pain level? It was, you look pretty in a lot of pain. Mate, it was bad. Like, you don't want to have a limb. You've only got four of them. You want them to all four be in their in their spots. It was more discomfort than pain. Hey, yeah, like yeah. you know that you got your fem- femoral head is out of your socket, and it's like you can feel the bone in a weird spot. Like I wouldn't want to do it again. And, no and way. It, was it true that uh, before that happened, you were talking about injuries, and you said there's one mm. thing I never want to get is a dislocated yeah. shoulder. Yeah. I remember saying that. I was, I've always looked at the dislocated shoulders we get on the beach, and I feel so sorry for people because it, it looks. Like, if you see a dislocated shoulder, it's like you're like, ooh. Even if you've seen 20 of them, you still go, oh, like, that's un- that's uncomfortable seeing that because it's not supposed to be like that. So I've always like, I hope I never do that. And I just thought yeah. I wouldn't. And then, boom, let's go. There, <laughs> there she goes. But it's a, it's a bad one because once you do it once, you either get like a surgery and go through the 
rehabilitation yeah. process or you don't and you got a bung shoulder for the rest of your life <laughs> like Bobby Oldwin. <laughs> so yeah, it's a scary one. All right, Jeff, mate, it's been great having you in the beach shack having a chat about That's all your injuries and mishaps. So <laughs> Hopefully I won't be back to discuss any more. Oh, mate, we'll get you back soon. <laughs> Thanks, Hop. How good was it having Jethro in the beach shack? Coming up next, I answer letters from the mailbag. This week's letter is from Lisa, and she's from Melbourne. Do you think there'll be any new recruits for next summer? Well, Lisa, um, it's hard to tell at the moment. That, uh, we've got a lot of staff and a lot of the guys and girls are looking like uh, staying on for another summer. So at this stage, we probably won't be doing a lot of recruitment, but uh, you never know. If some move on, we will need to uh, replace them. And uh, hopefully we've got a, a lot of young ones coming through and the traineeship, we need uh, probably one or two there to come through so hopefully uh, that will happen during next summer. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.